Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you Halloween night, and we weren't sure when we were going to get to this. Will and I both have kids. Will got, I mean, Will's... Will's dealing more than one than than I am. It's easy for me. It's not so much easy for Will. So we weren't sure what our schedules were going to be here on Halloween night, but we are here at our normal 8.30 start right here on Halloween night. Will, I hope you and the kids had a good Halloween. Well, put it this way. I am completely soaked here for Gators (laughs) Breakdown, sitting here in wet clothes because it was a wet, wet Halloween up here in Pennsylvania. But that's better than some Halloweens where it's like 40 degrees and the kids are just complaining the whole time. There's way too much candy in the house. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, so people at work should be pleased because they're going to get like <laughs> bags and bags and bags of this stuff to get it out of the house like that. But uh, good time had by all. And, uh, you know, fun, fun, fun time for everybody to dress up. Had one of the guys, in a, the little guy was in an alligator uniform with a little gator logo on it. So still repping the logo up here in PA. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So fun time had here. Uh, I was not rained on. We were joking before. I was in short sleeves and shorts and flip-flops for Halloween. So, you know, as you you never know what you're getting this time of year temperature-wise in Northeast Florida, but uh, it was one it was one hot Halloween this time. So, uh, as you said, most of the candy's going to work too. Uh we're too much of it. I don't I'm tired of seeing candy right now, so. Well, besides this is beer season with all the tailgating, so <laughs> yeah. you know, the candy the candy doesn't work, especially after some of the some of the drinks we had to have on Saturday after that game against Georgia and before the game. <laughs> before <the> game. <laughs> pre-game for the misery yeah there we go hey world's largest outdoor cocktail party lives up to it so uh yeah always a fun time in jacksonville uh for, for florida georgia too at least before the game yeah game didn't go so much uh we won't concentrate you know i'll get will's thoughts uh if you haven't uh been at reading reaction or uh, what those guys are doing on youtube uh of course that'll kind of bleed into some of the conversation we're going to have too of course uh some newsy information newsy Monday here for the Gators with the, of course, announcement of Britton Cox being dismissed from the team. Will we'll get into that and then kind of uh, an outlook uh, for the rest of the season as well. We'll also hit the Keon Zipper news too that came out, but it's kind of been retracted everywhere. Uh, we'll discuss it because it is out there. I'm being told it's still going to happen, but it looks like Keon Zipper tied in for the Gators will be out for the rest of the season as well. I'm sure Billy Napier will go into that more on Wednesday when he talks about injuries more. Uh, on Wednesday than he does on Monday. So plenty to get into, uh, Will, with this episode of Gators Breakdown. But uh, your quick takeaway from the 42-20 defeat at the hands of Georgia. 
I mean, I think it was exactly what both of us expected, right? I think you had 41 to 20 and I had like 38 to 17 or something like that as the scores. And, you know, it was, it was Florida put up a game fight there in the third quarter, but they're just way too inconsistent in order to, to be able to take on an opponent who is not inconsistent at all. And I mean, Georgia didn't play a good game, right? I mean, we sort of mm. looked at it and said, I think before the game said Florida's only shot was if Georgia turns the ball over three or four times, Florida doesn't turn the ball over at all. And then Florida is able to take advantage of it. And that was really the story is that Florida took advantage of a couple of the turnovers, but couldn't take over all of them. You know, they got the fumble there after the touchdown to open up the, the third quarter and they weren't able to convert that into a touchdown. They end up settling for a field goal. They get the long throw to Henderson to, to come within one score and then immediately let Georgia go down the field. And it was like six plays with like three explosives go down the field and, and turn it into a two score game. Again, they're, they're just not consistent enough. And, and that's, both the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I think we sort of thought that the offense was taking some step forward against Tennessee and Eastern Washington and, and some of the ugly things that we've seen early in the season, not all of them, but some of the ugly things have started to rear their ugly head. And I, I think, you know, look, last year's team was six and seven. There's a reason they were six and seven. And, you know, some of the guys who were, who were really good actually left that team. So Elam and Zach Carter and, and guys like that. And, you know, no one's really stepped up into those spaces. And so, you, know, you get what you get, right? You get the inconsistency from last year with a new system and a new coaching staff, and and um, not everything has been fixed. Certainly, and it's frustrating sometimes. But I think as well, it, it's a it's a sign that changes need to come, and certainly there are some changes today, and we'll talk about those. Absolutely, and we'll get into kind of similar to extend that conversation, as I said, an outlook for the rest of the season. Four winnable games will for the Gators left on the season for losable games <laughs> for the Gators <laughs> the rest of this season, the last month of the season. So plenty to get into in that regard. Perfect time as we turn the calendar from October to November. Before we get there, hit that like button. If you're watching this live on YouTube right now, even if you're not watching this live, if you go and watch the replay, hit that like button. really helps us out. doesn't cost a thing. Hit that like button. It goes a long way on the YouTube version of things. Subscribe as well. Uh, you'll get those notifications. If you I think, I believe you hit that bell notification, you'll get a alert when Gators Breakdown goes live. And also, Gators Breakdown Plus, a lot of good conversation on the Discord server the last couple of days with recruiting news and just football news and all the course, of course, all the news today uh, with Brenton Cox and Keon Zipperer out there. So all the discussion kind of going on uh, right there uh, live and very, very active on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. You can sign up for Gators Breakdown Plus with the link in the description. So, all right. Well, every Monday, of course, Billy Napier meets with the media, and it was about 30 minutes before he met with the media that Zach Alberverde from On3 uh, tweets uh, and puts out there that Britton Cox had been dismissed from the team. Uh, so let's hear from Billy Napier on the Britton Cox dismissal. Britton, um you know, we've kind of decided to, to uh, move on here. You know, I think, um, um, you know, I think that being a football player at the University of Florida is a, is a privilege, right? And there's certain expectations and standards that come with that. Um, Brent's down, been here in his third year. Obviously, he's done a lot of good things um, for the University of Florida, and we wish him nothing but the best. But, you know, sometimes – you know, you have to make decisions in the best interest uh, of the team. And uh, certainly, Brenton, you know, we, we're going to do everything we can do to help him with his transition. Um, but as simple as that, you know, I think that, you know, we've, we've decided to move on. We've been playing a, a handful of players in that position the entire year. You know, I think uh, – so AP and Lloyd and those guys will do a really good job. They've been playing in each and every game for the most part. I know Lloyd was out this past week, but um, we'll just continue in that direction. All right, there's Billy Napier's thoughts. And then, Will, about 30 minutes to an hour before, about an hour before we came live here, Brenton Cox tweets, uh, not necessarily his response, but uh, kind of a response, but uh, his, um, his thoughts on – being dismissed from the University of Florida. First, Britton Cox says, first, I would like to thank God for the blessings and the opportunities that he has allowed me to experience throughout my life and especially in my football career. I would not be the man I am today without the constant support of my family and the community of people that surround me. I would also like to express my gratitude to the Florida Gators football program 
fans and my teammates. This football program has helped me to be a productive and positive student athlete on and off the field, and I will be forever grateful for that. Being a part of this program and having the ability to wear the number one jersey was an honor and privilege. I find it hard to express my disappointment in being dismissed from the team. It is truly a shock. I have always had a competitive spirit. I think sometimes that gets misconstrued. SEC football is a serious endeavor. There is a lot at stake for everyone involved. As I lead the program, I want the Gator faithful to know my goal every Saturday was to contribute to a winning effort and and that my mindset has always been focused on my team and teammates and making my team and teammates better. During this time, I will continue to work and have positive influences around me to prepare me for my next journey in my football career. With that being said, I am humbled and excited to announce that I will be declaring for the 2023 NFL Draft. I look forward to this next season or this, this next season in my life and the opportunity to make everyone proud in my professional football career. So thoughts from Billy Napier, thoughts from Brenton Cox, of course, Will, currently leading the Gators with eight tackles for loss, third on the team with two sacks, uh, season opener, of course, 10 tackles against Utah, three of them solo, half tackle for loss, quarterback hurry, he was named SEC co-defensive lineman of the week for that performance, week one. And look, Will, it was a player that ended last season on a high note, led the team in both uh, sacks with eight and a half, tackles for loss, 14 and a half, 2020, he had 41 tackles, 21 solo, nine and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, uh, in addition to leading the team with quarterback hurries that year with 18. An okay player that never came near his five-star status coming out of high school uh, and, and that after transferring from Georgia as well. So, well, probably something we didn't expect on this Monday uh, after the Georgia game, but a lot, of, a lot happening there with Billy Napier, what he had to say, and Brenton Cox today. Yeah, I mean, Napier didn't really say a whole lot. Right? <laughs> he's, uh, he, and he's probably can't, and I'm not sure he'd want to anyway. Right. And, and that was also, you know, one of the stories coming out of there as well is, is some of the information that he gave or, gave or didn't give there. But uh, Hot mic. Look, I mean, <laughs> something like that. So I, I think there's, uh, there's a lot you can say about Cox. I think obviously comes in with a lot of fanfare from Georgia. Everybody gets really excited because he's a five-star recruit from the transfer portal who makes his way into Dan Mullen's program. And everybody knew that Mullen needed to bring in higher level talent. He was able to do that. Cox really has delivered probably more than some of the other transfers that Dan Mullen brought in. Um, If you think about Van Jefferson ends up in the NFL, he contributes quite a bit. Trevon Grimes was good, but not great. I think Cox sort of falls in that category as well. Adam Schuler falls in that category. Some of the guys who were brought in in the transfer portal last year at defensive tackle, probably two or three rungs below that. So, look, I mean, Cox was a contributor to the team. You wish him well as he moves on. Um, never really a good fit with this defense. You could tell sort of a square peg in a round hole. And, you know, the issues that Florida had holding the edge were not just Cox's fault, but Cox was a big part of that. And the inconsistencies that Florida showed on repeated times. I mean, you know, the interception he could have had against Alabama last year, the pass interference call that he had right after the interception he could have had against Alabama last year, the inability to win one-on-one battles consistently. He could win them every once in a while, but couldn't win them consistently. And you know, look, you're when you're the the prime defensive player, you're gonna get you're gonna get uh, matched up against the prime offensive player in the SEC. But that's not gonna get any easier in the NFL. So, uh, you know, like you said, I think we expected more from Cox. We kept expecting him to sort of have that breakout year. This year was a you know, and undoubtedly frustrating for him as well, right? That he's only got a couple of sacks that that he hasn't really been able to get to the quarterback as much as he might want to. And, you know, part of that is that they've changed scheme. Part of that is dropping in coverage a lot more. And part of that is, as Napier mentioned, they're rotating more guys in. So, uh, you know, hey, you you part ways. The defense can't get worse, right? I mean, so from the standpoint of, like, you know, usually somebody leaves and you go, okay, well, what does this do to our overall, the overall quality of the defense? I mean, the the honest answer is is that it can't get worse. Um, And... Beyond that, I think from the standpoint of is this going to get people to sort of snap to attention maybe mm-hmm. that, you know, hey, the, 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 the best player, or at least the perceived best player on the defensive side of the ball has been dismissed from the team. 
maybe. And you think about all the changes people have been clamoring for and those sorts of things. I think one of the things there has been a constant drumbeat that Florida's defense has not been, has been underperforming its talent level, which I think is undoubtedly true. The question is, is that a scheme issue? Is that a player execution issue? Is that a cultural issue or is that all three? And so we're going to get this. There's an experiment going on right now, right? I mean, we, someone has been dismissed from the team. You presume reading between the lines that that is a cultural issue, right? And again, nobody's fault, just a disconnect that Brenton Cox did not commit to Billy Napier and Billy Napier did not recruit Brenton Cox, right? And so those guys in that relationship is not something that's been built over multiple years. It's something where they've been forced into a situation together and now have been going through really, really tough times. And look, I mean, I think many times Cox has deserved the criticism that he's gotten, but this fan base can be rough on people when they're struggling. And so he hears all that. And so, you know, that frustration, that, that, uh, lack of success this year, the inability to sort of put everything together, and the fact that you know Cox wants to go to the NFL and get that payday, and you combine all of those things together, and, and it just leads to a situation like this. So, again, like I said, you wish him well, but certainly you hope that this is addition by subtraction that the young guys who get an opportunity are able to at least learn, so that next year the mistakes they would have made next year aren't going to be there, and perhaps we even find something right that that. You know, Napier said something about in the second half, sort of figuring out who the team is by coming out and playing hard in that third quarter and, and, uh, you know, and performing at least in that third quarter and not giving up and not lying over. And, you know, this is an opportunity now to, to have those other guys say, Hey, we're going to pick it up. And from a team perspective, it's really no different than if he'd sprained a knee or sprained an ankle or something like that, right? You, you always expect you're going to have an injury or two throughout the year. So they should have been preparing for guys on the defensive line to go down. And this, from a, from a logistics standpoint, is no different than if he'd gone down with an injury. Now you just hope that it adds to the cultural aspects of the team. Yeah, uh, Billy Napier, you know, speaking on that part, he certainly didn't want to discuss the reasons, <laughs> even though he was pressed and pressed about it. Uh, did not want to go into the reasons, uh, deciding to keep that in-house. Uh, and look, I mean, Chris Bogle, you know, he transferred away before the season. That was maybe an option there. Of course, now is, as you heard Billy Napier say, Antoine Powell Ryland, uh, Lloyd Summerall there. But, uh, of course, Billy Napier did not want to go into uh, detail uh, about what happens here. And it was either way. It was obvious Napier wasn't going to put up with it and, and set an example here, Will, as you said. Uh, before, as, as, as for the replacements – Antoine Powell, Ryland, uh, 11 tackles, one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, one forced fumble so far this year. Uh, of course, you know, nothing to write home about. Same for Lloyd Summerall. Mostly been special teams this season. He's got three tackles, two solo. Uh, there's two solo tackles coming in in the win versus Eastern Washington. So definitely still will. You know, uh, I think a lot of, you know, as you, you talked about criticism there, and you know, a lot of criticism out there is either if you're not elite, well, you're terrible. Well, no, there, there's in between. You know, there, it's not one or ten. You know, there, there there are numbers in between. If you want to start rating players, uh, and you know, they lose, the, they do lose their most proven pass rusher here. He he has proven that. Now he's proven that on a bad defense this year, and uh, this year, as I said, it's not really meant a whole lot. Uh, but you know, sh- show the ability to be more consistent earlier this season, and that production's kind of teetered off. Uh, uh, of course. As you said, Will, a lot of reputation for the over-pursuit, not playing assignment football uh, at times was Brenton Cox. Showed signs late last season, like I said, but never came to fruition, never turned it around uh, to kind of combine what we saw late last season and kind of continue that for this season. Uh, Was an okay player this season. But he was an okay player on a bad defense, <laughs> kind of going to your point. So we'll just see, you know, how much he, uh, you know, means to this, you know, how much he meant to this defense uh, in the games coming up, of course. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I mean, look, he had two sacks in eight games, and he's their primetime pass rusher. And, you know, I, I think... And he told us all preseason, preseason he wanted to, to... He told us all preseason he wanted to go 
you know, hit that sack record, which was like 13 or 13 or whatever. Well, he wouldn't, wasn't getting anywhere close to that. No. And, you know, again, just like Anthony Richardson is going to take criticism for the way he played in the first half in this game against Georgia. I think Brenton Cox, it's legitimate to say you are a pass rusher. You give up things to be a pass rusher. And so, you know, the fact that you only have two sacks and that you're not changing the game is something that that impacts the overall quality of the defense. If Brenton Cox was getting to the quarterback on a consistent basis, then Florida's defense overall would be better. And, you know, again, that's that's a factual statement, right? You got two sacks in eight games. It's it's not what you expect, especially out of a guy who had eight sacks last year, I think like 13 and a half or 14 tackles for loss. Those sorts of like, he just has not been able to put up the same, same statistics that he had last year. And he was even injured heading into last year. So we thought this yeah. year he was going to really be able to take a step forward and just hasn't been able to do it. Now, again, he's he, in many ways, this may be a square peg in a round hole where Patrick Tony's defense is not Todd Grantham's defense. And, and Brenton Cox came to Florida to play in Brenton Co- or play in Todd Grantham's defense, and so you switch it. You make him go into coverage more often, and you make him do things that maybe he's not comfortable with. And look, it is what it is, right? I mean, the the fit has not been great, the production has not been great, but you can kind of say that across the board for all the Florida players, except for maybe Amari Bernie, who I think has has shown significant improvement this year. Other than that, I mean, where where is the improvement? So it's not just a Cox thing, but. I think, you know, he, he did – there was the video going around of him throwing a punch on a Georgia player in the actual end zone of the of the Georgia game and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but certainly Napier, it sounds like, felt like there was a need to send a message and have them part ways. And, again, you wish him best you, – you wish him the best of luck, but um, I'm excited to see what the guys who are going to be in there are going to be able to do because I think we know what Brenton Cox can do. And, like you said, it's – average play on a poor defense yeah you know just like to you know see what, what more options Florida has and as I said you know don't have a lot uh you know Antoine Powell rising we've seen him uh a, a bit Lloyd Summerall not much at all this season so we'll see uh hopefully one of those guys step up if you, you would think if they were going to step up uh they would gotten as you said more playing time uh, th- this year, if Brenton Cox, they were, if the coaching staff wasn't happy with what they were getting with Brenton Cox, so up and down uh, career, up and down year for Brenton Cox. We'll see what the Gators do in the last month of the season uh, to replace what he brings to the table. So, all right, and then as I mentioned, because it's it was out there a lot at one point, Keon Zipperer um, did post on social media today that he would be out for the rest of the season. Uh, let me put that out there. And yeah, due to an injury, I will not play for the remainder of the season. Never ask why, just trust the process. See y'all next year. That was from Keon Zipperer. And then I, I've asked around, that still should be the case, even though that post had been taken down. And I believe it was Zach Alberverde on that one, too, who who shared. He, I mean, he saw the same thing that we saw, and he, and he shared. He was the first one uh, to put it out there. And then we kind of, you know, of course, you know, chased down the original post uh, and it was there, but it all has been taken down now. So we'll see uh, where that one goes in asking around. I've heard that's going to be the case as well. So uh, for Keon Zipperer, 13 catches, Will, 177 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown, of course, versus Tennessee, it might be one of the best plays of the uh, what might be the best play of the year for the Gators uh, through the through, through through the air. Anthony Richardson finds Keon Zipperer uh, as he's kind of maneuvering around the pocket. Zipperer catch and run, shed and tackler for a 44-yard score there for uh, against Tennessee. So probably not used as much as I thought so far this season. Uh, some of that due to inconsistent quarterback play. Uh, the best receiving threat from the position, of course, uh, while playing that position along with Dante Zanders mostly. Uh, looks like Jonathan Odom up next. Uh, Nick Elkson is pretty much dealing with a shoulder injury still. True freshman Arliss Boardingham uh, injured as well. Uh, doesn't leave much at the position for the Gators. No, I mean you had Elksness, uh tweeting about yeah. <laughs> tweeting about needing to get the ball to the tight ends more often. Yeah, um, he, 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 he was loving he was loving the way Georgia was using their tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, look, I mean, I, I think when you look at Florida's offense, and and it's it's interesting because yes, they don't have the tight ends that you would expect in a Napier offense, but it's not as though there weren't. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised at this. It's not as though there weren't a bunch of guys running free against Georgia's secondary, Anthony Richardson just couldn't hit him. And 
you know, they, they've been in more three three wide receiver sets. It looks like Shorter's okay. I was worried there that he might have might have pulled a hamstring. They've been doing a lot of that with 11 personnel where they don't necessarily always have two tight ends. And certainly Xanders has gotten run. He's going to get more. Um, it always hurts when you lose a guy who's a big part of your offense. And Zipper's been in there a lot as a blocker. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't really know who they're going to bring in in that position. And maybe they, maybe they compensate by bringing in a sixth offensive lineman. Maybe they compensate by bringing in a third wide receiver. We'll have to see, right? That's going to be an adjustment that they're going to make because Zipper, whether he was getting the ball a lot or not, was a big part of the offense just from the standpoint of he was in there doing a lot of the dirty work that was necessary for a team that even after the Georgia game is still ranked very, very high in terms of being able to run the ball. Yeah, be interesting to see. I mean, look, he, even even in the Georgia game, uh, Richardson could have hit him in the end zone uh, for a score. Florida ends up scoring that drive anyway, uh, but was still uh, there um, uh, maybe to make a possible touchdown uh, versus Georgia this past week. And that was just, you know, just a couple of days ago. So, uh, yeah, hopefully on Wednesday we'll get some more information there. Of course, that info was out there, but you can't find it much anymore uh, as far as the official post there from um, uh, Keon Zipperer and reports that followed. So, man, uh, ex- still excited to see him. Hopefully we get to see uh, more of him next year, bounces back from that injury, and we get some more usage out of that tight end uh, position. So, all right, now coming up next, of course, Gators sitting at 4-4, four and four, and we'll have an outlook there for the rest of the season, looking at the schedule and what is ahead for the Gators. But first... A message from our friends at Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. Uh, well, Gators at 4-4 four and four after the loss to Georgia. November coming up. Texas A&M, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida State to end the season for the Gators. And certainly will, as I kind of said earlier in the episode, four winnable games for the Gators, but it is not out of the question, four losable games for the Gators. Uh, not saying they'll lose all four, not saying they'll win all four, uh, but plenty there to, to to look at and plenty, hopefully, we find out about these Gators in the last month of the season. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think we we all want to get to at least six, right? Because yep. you get to six wins and then you get the bowl practices. You get to see who wants to stick through that. I think if you're going to have guys transfer out, that'll probably happen in in uh, right after the game against Florida State. You'll have guys transfer out who maybe aren't necessarily completely bought in. And so the bowl game will give you an opportunity. So you need to get at least two. I think we pencil in the Vanderbilt win, hopefully, as a win. But then, yeah. like you said, um, A&M, South Carolina, Florida State, you know, those are games that aren't necessarily – I mean, we might have thought they were on the win side of the spectrum when the season started. And uh, given the inconsistency that this team has shown, I think, uh, you know, you can't ever take any of them for granted. But again, inconsistency runs both ways, right? And I think that's one of the things we need to keep in mind is that inconsistency means that, okay, you can't put together a full game against Georgia. But that also means you can put up 17 points in the third quarter against a team that hasn't given up much of anything all year long. And so if that team, the team that showed up in the third quarter, that amount of heart, that amount of urgency, that amount of want to shows up against a team like Florida State, I think Florida State's going to be in trouble. I think this team is talented enough to be able to do that. But if the team that showed up in the first half or really the first quarter that had like 16 total yards of offense and just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, couldn't run the ball, couldn't hit open receivers, couldn't, um, you know, really couldn't do anything of any sort of quality. If that team shows up, then they can lose to all four of these. And that that's part of, I guess, what makes it fun is that we're going to get to watch it and not know who's, uh, 
who's showing up that day. And even in this case, I mean, it's interesting. The first half against Georgia, Anthony Richardson was really bad. 15 attempts, 75 yards, three rushes for minus six yards. Second half, 22 attempts for 196 yards, eight rushes for 25 yards. The offense really looked different on that opening drive of the second half when they allowed him to run a little bit. And so um, you know, what's it going to look like, right? What are they going to do um, for each of these four games? Are they going to open it up? Are they going to say – to heck with it. If Richardson gets injured, we'll have Jack Miller in there. We'll get to see what he can do or Jalen Kitten and see what he can do. Um, are they going to sort of unleash the shackles on Lorenzo Lingard? Like, what are the things that they're going to do as they move forward to to give them an advantage in these games? I, I did actually wonder as I was watching, it didn't look like they had a whole lot of offensive wrinkles in the game at all against Georgia. And in some ways, I wonder whether, and this is a 40 chess thing that I, I'm probably going to regret saying, but <laughs> the idea of, you know, if you already thought that it was a lost cause to break out things that are sort of a surprise, the new stuff against Georgia, is that stuff still coming, right? Did they make adjustments in the bye week that they will bring to the table against a South Carolina, against a Florida State, against a Texas A&M that they didn't bring out against Georgia just because the way that game went, I was 28 to three in a flash. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, did you really have an opportunity to, to run a trick play, to run some sort of reverse, to run something with a whole bunch of misdirection, or do you just say, now nah, we got to get back to our main offense and start executing. And uh, you know, next week, if they have an opportunity, if they're ahead, if it's a close game, something like that, do they have something sort of in the bag that they had planned for Georgia and just weren't able to bring out? Yeah, I have brought that up too. Like, if there was going to be some adjustments in the bye week, things you needed to improve on, uh, maybe they, they did. Would you even really be able to tell versus Georgia if Georgia was playing good? And of course, they were playing good on defense. We, we kind of expected that. Uh, and maybe the same thing uh, for for the Georgia offense versus this Gator defense. I mean, they did play more man. I think we saw it. They did play a little more aggressive uh, on the back end, and that did produce some turnovers there for the Gators. So, Schedule each is up. We'll get into that, too. Got some good looks at just kind of a general look at where these teams are uh, that Florida faces in the next month. But let's hear from Billy Napier uh, on the outlook as we go to November. I think this is more about just this team um, still searching for their best, right? I mean, I still, I still think that we've got a lot of individual players that are growing, that are improving, uh, we have certain position groups, units on our team. Um, I think it's more about, you know, finding a way to win a game one week at a time to create some momentum. Um, but, um, you know, there's only one way to do that. You do that one day at a time. You do that one task at a time, right, with a, with a great focus. Um, you try to do your best for the people around you. You know, and I think that's what this group's going to do. I think it's – it's one of the benefits of going to a bowl game is that you get additional time with the players from a development standpoint. More meetings, more walkthroughs, more practice opportunity. There's no question this is a developmental game, and you do that in a practice setting. Um, it's certainly it's another opportunity for your team to compete and play, right? So more experience for players, um, more you know, opportunities for players to increase their value relative to their career. Uh, and certainly an opportunity to celebrate some of the positive things that come from the year. Time for just a few more guys. How difficult has this SEC schedule been thus far? I mean, if you just look at it purely on paper, the next few games, the records aren't quite. I mean, you played some pretty some heavyweights so far. How, how difficult has <laughs> this stretch been? I mean, I, I think it's exactly what we signed up for. It's what we expected. You know, I think we've got a pulse of where we're at and what we need to do going forward, you know. But I think uh, we've also been in the game with all these teams as well, you know, late in the second half. So, I mean, it is what it is, you know. And I think that uh, gives us a good barometer of where we're at and what we need to do uh, to position the, ourselves in the future, you know, to have better success. Yeah, well, certainly not an easy schedule for the Gators so far. I've played – hey, look – Georgia and Tennessee are playing this week. They're the number one, number two teams in the country. As far as play both of them, uh, LSU, of course, ranked as well. Utah, it has not been, you know, Kentucky there as well. Uh, not been an easy schedule in Billy Napier's first season and all the transition going on. But, you know, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot in these next four games. These are games, as I said, that are winnable. You got to go. You got to go look improved. Make those make this tough schedule you've played up to this point pay off. Uh, if you if you've learned a lot from it, 
You know, we need to go out there uh, and see some progress on the field coming up in these four games here. Um, so we'll send this to you earlier today so we could get a better look at it. And rest of 2022 uh, right here and looking at some general stats for the Gators' remaining schedule using teamrankings.com uh, like that. You know, they only use some stats here that involve two FBS games, throw away the cupcake games. Uh, though Gators haven't really had much of a cupcake game this year too much. Eastern Washington, uh, yes, and those stats are thrown out here. But if you're looking at it, of course, Gators sitting at 4-4, four and four, playing 3-5 and five, Texas A&M, 5-3 and three, South Carolina coming up, 3-5 and five, Vanderbilt, and 5-3 and three, FSU. Uh, you start taking a look at the statistics, Will, and the first thing that caught my eye, if you go to the defensive side for the opponents coming up, well, not a lot of them are good. In defending the rush, Texas A&M ranked 125th in the country in stopping the run, giving up 220 yards. South Carolina, 95th in the country in giving up 171.9 rushing yards. Vanderbilt improved there, but still 71st in the country, giving up 153 yards in a game, rushing the ball. FSU right there with Vanderbilt giving up 153 yards as well on the ground. So, Will, for all the growth we want to see from Anthony Richardson coming up in these four games, well, we might see it because the Florida ground game might get going or might you know might show what they've shown but on a more, more consistent basis in the last month of the season. Uh, so that can help your, your quarterback. But you also look at that, some pretty good pass defenses there too. Uh, but for what we know, Billy Napier like likes to do and what we know have seen from this Gator offense this year running the ball probably will be the reason Florida wins some of these games coming up in November yeah I mean look I I think there's no doubt that Florida has an easier schedule coming up here in November than they have earlier in the year you look at the SEC there's really sort of three tiers you've got the Georgia Tennessee Alabama tier up there at the top then you got old Ole Miss LSU and potentially Mississippi State. And then you have a grouping of Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Auburn, and Texas A&M, all sort of in an area. And each of those teams has strengths and weaknesses. Vanderbilt's probably the only one that is weak in both areas, and that's kind of what you see here when you look at these overall numbers. Um, You know, again, you look at South Carolina, hey, their total defense, 63rd. Their total offense, 98th in um, in terms of yardage. You know, Vanderbilt's the only one that's in the hundreds in both of those. So that's the one that you say is a sure thing. That's the one you have to get, right? If Billy Napier loses to Vanderbilt, he's going to have some real problems, not just with the fan base that wants guys like Patrick Tony out, but losing to Vanderbilt is, uh, that'd be an issue, right? Then you've got the, the, um, the game against your rival, obviously FSU. That's the important one. Florida State's actually been a lot better this year than I think we sort of thought you yeah. know, that opening win against LSU looks a lot better now, even though they tried to just hand it over. Um, Norvell, I'm still not quite sure how they lost the game to NC State. Um, so it's go- it's probably going to be a close game, but I think you'd probably have to give Florida State uh, the edge in that one right now, especially because if you look at – so one of the things I like looking at is predicted points added, which is an EPA-based stat, and you take the offense minus the defense, and they end up – if you if you do that, you take the offense minus defense and, and compare the difference, they end up in the Ole Miss, LSU, kind of Mississippi State area. So they're sort of one layer up compared to um, the where Florida sits in the SEC. But you look at A&M. From a, from a PPA perspective, they're worse than Florida. You look at South Carolina, they're essentially equal. They're obviously five and three, but that just, I mean, they've got a couple of one-score wins that Florida doesn't have. And then Vanderbilt is very, very low on the uh, on the totem pole. So, you know, look, I'm expecting a win over Vanderbilt. I think A&M, the, the wild, card, wild card there is Connor Wegman, right? I mean, yeah. he started a true freshman quarterback. This was always sort of the danger is if you got Haynes King or you got Max Johnson, you kind of knew what you were getting. Connor Wegman, you don't necessarily know what you're getting, and he just had a first start where he threw for over 300 yards. Is that the start? You know, I, I was well. Like at least we're not playing. At least we're not playing Max Johnson. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'd like the Jimbo Fisher version of Max Johnson. But, um, you know, look, I mean, Florida. Here's the here's the problem, Dave. Is that Florida's defense is going to make everybody look like a star right now? Okay, well, there you go. That's where I wanted to go and, next. Texas A and M. You know, scoring offense, 90 knots in the country. 103rd in total offense. South Carolina, 69th in scoring offense, 98th in total offense. Vanderbilt, 
84th in scoring offense, 109th in total offense. FSU, as you said, improved 48th in scoring offense, 21st in total offense. So if you do look, Will, uh, maybe where you were going with this, you know, Florida's defense maybe catches a break here compared to the rest of the schedule as well, but this this is going to be a bunch of bad offenses versus a bad defense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's something where when we played when we played Missouri, who's down in that same general area of offenses, Florida was able to stop them at least somewhat. Not great, but mm-hmm. able to stop them somewhat. That's what I think you're going to see against teams like A and M, South Carolina, and and to a little bit lesser extent Vanderbilt. But you know, Florida State's got pretty good defense, so I think they'll probably have an edge, and their offense isn't terrible. So. Yeah, look, I think against AM, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt, Florida's going to have an opportunity to get off the field. Are they going to be able to do it consistently? Or are they going to turn, you know, a couple years ago in 2020, I went into that game thinking there's, you know, Kellen Mond is just not very good. <laughs> and all of a sudden he looks like Heisman Trophy winner Kellen Mond. And then the next week he looks like a terrible quarterback again. And he owes Todd Grantham his. Uh, was able to prop him up. He owes Todd Grantham his NFL signing bonus if he got one. <laughs> well, so I. Yes, that is sort of where I was going in terms of that the defense is going to get a little bit of a respite. But, um, you know, this is one of those things where, um, you know, the narrative actually is going to be really interesting, right? Because with Cox's dismissal, if all of a sudden the defense starts playing well, we're not necessarily going to know whether it was a cultural change that caused that to happen or whether it was a guy stepping up in Cox's stead or whether it's just all of a sudden they started playing against teams that weren't Georgia and Tennessee. And I think it's probably going to be a little bit of both. The The issue is really, if you look at it from a yards per play perspective, Florida is in the top 25 or top 30 overall uh, from an offensive perspective. But like you said, like you've got on this graphic, they're 71st in points per game. And there's a disconnect between the way they've been able to move the ball and their ability to put points on the board. And part of that is tied with explosives, but a big part of that is just tied with their overall inconsistency, their success rate against Georgia. So those, those are plays deemed successful. So if it's first down and 10 and you get more than five yards, it's considered successful. Um, second down, I think it's if you get to like within one or two yards of a first down. And then third down or fourth down, it's if you convert it. Their success rate against Georgia, 27%. Their success rate against Kentucky, 22%. Against LSU, 39 Against Missouri, 30 And then Tennessee was the best one since Utah at 45 So they have not been consistent in terms of their, they are a very much feast or famine offense. And that's kind of a good thing when you look at some of these defenses they're playing against, but it also might be a bad thing because if you don't hit those big plays, they don't have 17 or 14 play drives going down the field, getting five, six, seven yards at a time. It's not a coincidence that Florida wound up in third and long a ton against Georgia. Part of that is Georgia's defense, but part of that is that's just the way Florida's offense has been Mm -hmm. all year. Anthony Richardson has had to deal with third and seven, third and eight, third and nine all year long. And he is not at a point in his career yet where he is able to take those and consistently convert them over and over and over again. And by the time he finally started converting them, and by the time they finally found some running room on the ground to help convert some of those third downs, the game was basically over the other day. So that'll be the thing that I'll look at is can they raise that success rate? I don't know if they're ever going to be you know, a 60% success rate team, but the SEC average is probably, I think, somewhere around 45%. So you look at that and say, get your explosives plus have a success rate that meets the SEC average, and you're going to score 35 points. If you keep your success rate in the 25 to 30% range, even with a couple of explosives, you're only going to score 24, 27 points. And if you don't get the explosives, then you're going to be down there in the 17 to 20 range. And uh, you know that's not going to be enough to win games, even against teams with anemic offenses like Texas A&M and Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to learn a lot about this team in the next four games, and we've already learned a lot coming up. I mean, you know, before this as well, through eight games, four games left, and probably still the biggest question mark, and kind of going to what you were talking about, is quarterback Anthony Richardson, and uh, will we see any more progression, growth from the quarterback as this schedule? It certainly eases up. I mean, this is probably the easiest portion of the schedule uh, Florida is going to have this year, and. If you take a look at it, Will, Florida is 35th in rush offense and 98th in pass offense. Well, okay, it kind of does match up well, as I, as I kind of alluded to earlier. Texas A&M, 125th in rush defense, while Florida is 35th in rush offense. And Texas A&M, 11th 
in pass defense, while Florida is 98th in pass offense. South Carolina, 95th in rush defense, 37th in pass defense. Vanderbilt, bad both. Uh, they're 71st rush defense, 130th in pass defense. So if there's one game you want to see Anthony Richardson go off on, it is Vanderbilt. And then FSU, the 72nd rush defense and the 18th pass defense. So Florida is coming up on the schedule playing defenses that are worse stopping the run and better stopping the pass. And this Gator offense is better running the ball than they are passing the ball. So it will I mean, based on the surface, and we're just kind of previewing these four games moving up, you know, as I kind of go back to earlier, Will, it does seem like, you know, Florida, if they can run the ball, these should be some, you know, that that should lend itself to a probable victory. Yeah, I mean, I think just like every game, it's going to come down to what can Anthony Richardson provide for them, and are they willing to run him in a way that opens up the offense. That right, they I mean, were he, he able is to part of that. Yeah, he on. is part of that r- running equation. You know, I'm sitting here purely just run game, but he he he's a big part of that as well. <laughs> he averages six and a half yards per rush, so he's a pretty significant part of that. And look, I, I think the offense opened up when they committed to him being able to run the ball. All of a sudden, it holds the linebackers a little bit. They were able to get Montrell Johnson outside. They were able to get. Trevor Etienne outside on a couple of different runs that opened things up, even on third and long, they were able to get those guys out there. So um, his, his position in the running game, I think is critical to moving the ball. And I don't think they can wait until the third quarter to do that. I think they're going to have to come right out of the shoot and say, look, you're going to have to run the ball a little bit. That's just the way it is right now. Um, you know, he's been very hit or miss. I mean, there have been games where he's been on. The the Tennessee game jumps to mind. There have been games where he's been off. Certainly the Kentucky game and even the Missouri game, especially in the first half, I think really jumps to mind. And so, um, you know, he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been fantastic. His QB rating would say he's been below average. His, his QBR um, or any of the efficiency metrics would say maybe he's been a little bit above average. Um but but he hasn't been fantastic, and I think the, the interesting thing about that is there are plenty of quarterbacks who have sat there and sort of been ho-hum, inconsistent over and over and over again You know, for the first sort of season that they're starting, and that's what I want to see. If, if you look at guys, even like Felipe Franks in 2018, that five-game run they had at the end of the year, he really took a step forward, and I think – was ready to at least was ready to start playing better. He played decently against Miami, a couple of turnovers you wouldn't want to see there. Same thing against Kentucky. Then he gets injured and Kyle Trask comes in and he loses his job. But Franks in 2018 had sort of set the stage for a pre- for us to be pretty confident that he was going to be okay in 2019. Joe Burrow did the same thing in 2018, last four or five games of the year, much, much better than he was to start the year. And then obviously that carries over into 2019. I think there are lots of examples that you can go back and find, even Hendon Hooker in terms of the way he played at the end of last year. Now, he was a much better player at Virginia Tech and certainly played better last year than Anthony Richardson has so far this year. But Hooker's taken a step forward and – you know, I think a lot of that is the springboard of of Tennessee finishing strong last year. Granted, they end up seven and six, but they finished strong last year. Hooker's playing well. All of a sudden, they have the whole offseason where he's the starter, the un, the undisputed starter with years of experience under his belt. And they're able to build into what they've got this year. So there's an opportunity here for Billy Napier to really sort of see what Anthony Richardson can do and see how consistent he can be at running plays where Florida, you know, quite honestly, should be gifted enough to be able to run what they want to run against these defenses that are not great and say, look, we're going to see, we're going to run our best and you're going to know it's coming, but we're going to run our best and we think our best can beat your best. And we're going to go after that, go after you that way. Can't do that against Georgia. <laughs> if you try it against Georgia, you're going to lose, but uh, against Texas A&M and, and even more so against South Carolina and Vanderbilt, I think there is an opportunity to go out there and basically say, we're going to execute what we want to execute. Let's see how well Anthony Richardson can do that. And let's really get him prepared for 2023, which let's be honest, was always the target. If you had him around in 2023, you bring in the recruits from this year, guys like McClellan, who are really starting to play well there on the defensive line. Um, and then you bring in this new recruiting class and say, let's see what we got. Let's get the young guys out there and uh, and let's see if Anthony Richardson can carry us. So he's shown so far, that's the good news, is he's shown so far he can carry Florida in spurts. The question is going to be, can he carry Florida for an entire game? And then it's going to be, can he carry them for an entire multi-game stretch? And then it's going to be, can he carry them for an entire year? Those are the questions we're sort of looking at. He can carry them for stretches. 
He just can't carry them all the time. And when he's not carrying them, the offense is anemic. It's not like he's consistent and then he carries them. It's he carries them or he's an actual net negative. And so in many ways, it's just leveling out, making the easy plays, making sure that he's not a net negative. Like the play that jumps to mind is the third down where he missed Shorter on a high throw. Should Shorter have caught the ball? Maybe. If he'd have hit him right in the chest, would it have been a first down? Absolutely. And so those sorts of things, I think, are the things you should be looking for. Like, honestly, if he hits a couple of long throws, you're like, hey, that's great. That's not what I want to see. I know he can do that. The question is when he get when he's got a guy streaking across the middle and he's got to throw it over a linebacker and under a safety, is he able to start to put the touch on the ball to be able to do that? If he can, then that's a good sign that Florida's going to have more success with Richardson next year. If he continues to struggle, look, that's just going to happen sometimes, right? I mean, there are guys who are not able to develop that and take that next step. Hopefully that's not Richardson, but we should start to figure that out these last four games. Absolutely. And there's there, uh, kind of going back to one of my previous points. I'm not saying Florida figured some things out during the bye week, but if they did, Georgia certainly was not the opponent that you may see that against. So these four games, I think, uh, will really come into play there uh, if the Gators are going to figure some things out along the way and maybe figure some things out uh, during the bye week as well. I don't know, but I do think if it is there, these next four games will tell us that. Uh, Will, one thing, uh, one last thing I want to take a look at here as, as we preview those last months of the season. I mean, maybe the biggest takeaway is, now I know they play in the ACC, but just based off these stats, you know, FSU is by, clearly uh, the better team out of uh, the remaining four. Texas A&M, the most talented. Uh, Florida State, just going by pure stats, uh, better. Uh, they're 29th in total defense, if you go to that side of the ball. Uh, but if you look at their offense, they're 23rd in the country. In passing offense, 284 yards a game. Uh, and in total offense as well, 465.6. That goes, that's good for 21st in the country. Uh, as you mentioned, they did have the win versus LSU. Now, both teams are so much different now. Season opener, but you, you give FSU the credit there. Uh, but as you said, as we previewed the season, I said this, coming into this season, Will, well, you got to win the final three games. Remember I said, I said, you've got to beat South Carolina, you've got to beat Vanderbilt, and you've got to beat Florida State. Now, I still think that, uh, but, you know, now if I had to revise it, I'll say, well, you have to beat Texas A&M, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt, and now the FSU game is more in question than the Texas A&M game as it was coming into the season. Yeah, look, I, I think you need to win two of the last four. Oh, yeah, you have to. You have really, to. If, yeah. if you're looking – if you're looking at it, you got to end up six and six. And how you get there and how you scratch and claw there, I don't know necessarily matters. But you can't be you can't be five and seven missing a bowl game, and and licking your wounds heading into early signing day and all that sort of stuff. I just don't think that's going to fly with, with the fan base. Um, who you lose to is important, though, right? I mean, yes. if you beat Texas A and M, and then you drop one, and you beat South Carolina, and then you drop one to Vanderbilt and and Florida State. I mean, look, I get it. You beat Texas A and M, woo! But <laughs> that's not going to do you a whole lot of good when it comes to when it comes to this fan base. Now, if you end up running the table and you end up four and four in the SEC and eight and four overall, then you're looking at it saying, "Hey, this is a pretty successful season," given that. At eight games, that's kind of what we thought coming in. I think some people had them at nine, some people had them at seven. You know, worst case scenario, we sort of looked at it and said it'll be six and six, and that's still sort of where you're at. Um, you know, I, I think Florida is going to be a definitive favorite against Vanderbilt. I think they're going to be a favorite against AM, though it'll be close. I think South Carolina, maybe that'll be a pick 'em. If you think about it, I think people, South Carolina is a little bit better, but Florida is it's at home, at, so I at think, home for that one. Yeah. And so, and so that'll probably be a pick 'em. And I think they'll be an underdog to Florida State in Tallahassee. And, uh, you know, Florida State's been playing pretty well. Now, the one thing is in all these stats that we're showing, and this is something that I'm trying to get better at, but one of the things that we need to look at is that the stats we're showing are not opponent-adjusted. Right. And that is an important distinction when we compare Florida to Florida State. Right. So That's why I had to make sure know, I started that with, yes, they play in the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, right, is that they have played Clemson and they got blown out of the water by Clemson. Um, you know, they played Wake Forest, and that one was reasonably close. The Wake Forest had that one pretty much throughout. They lose to NC State, and NC State did, had a walk-on playing quarterback for like the last two quarters of that game. So 
there are there are warts on the Florida State side as well. There are warts for each of these teams that we're playing, and and so there there's an opportunity here for Napier to turn it around for to, for Florida to be more consistent, and that's really what it is. It's, they don't need to be like they can be great in spurts. They actually showed us that they can be great in spurts. They just can't be great. They have not been great for more than like a six or seven minute period in any game that they've had so far. And until that changes, they're going to continue to struggle. But yeah, like you said, I mean, Bill, Bill Sykes, our buddy, he's always talking about basically the year after the Florida, Florida state game, almost always the team that wins that game ends up recruiting at a higher level. Um, it's, so it's not necessarily the 2023 class where that's critical, but 2024 classes where that Florida, Florida state game in 2022 starts to really play a role. And, uh, you know, that is important. So from the standpoint of just owning the state, being able to brag, have bragging rights in the state, being able to, you know, considering the recruiting rivalry that's, that's burgeoning there between, uh, Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal down South, really sort of putting your boot on the neck of Florida state and Mike Norvell and making sure that they don't get anything going, I think might be important. So, you know, Again, two and two, I think, is critical. But I think a win over Vanderbilt and a win over Florida State, and toss ups in those other two. The only problem is, is those other two come before Vanderbilt and Florida State. <laughs> yeah. So if you're four and six staring down Vanderbilt, it's going to be a rough couple of weeks there in Gainesville yeah. for Billy Napier. All right, I did ask the fan base, Will, what will Florida's record be? This was on Twitter. Uh, what will Florida's record be the rest of the season, and why? Six thousand votes, Will. Two and two takes it away with 37% of the vote. 29% say 3 and 1, 21% say 4 and 0, 13% say 1 and 3 or 0 and 4. So 2 and 2 uh pretty much taking it right there. Most of the fan base thinking uh the Gators will finish 2 and 2. I uh, did get some remarks here from some people uh, Dustin Defenestrator 19 says completely depends on the AR we get and the defense we get. If we can consistently Get the second half AR from the Georgia game and the defense who can get off the field on third down and a couple of turnovers, then I'll optimistically say three and one. Uh, Kevin Reed says, I thought this year was a seven and five, six or six year. Uh, hasn't been on the job a full year. Losses are in number one, three, 14, 19. Top 10 recruiting class playing hard. That's all you can expect right now with a limited roster with zero depth. Uh, Gators 21. 387 Steve, 21387Steve. Uh, at the moment, looks more and more beatable every week. The way the team went up to Knoxville and dealt with the crowd gives me more confidence about it. 3-1, and one, definitely in the realm of possibility. Uh, Tarpon 21, this is the most important four-game stretch for Billy and this team. We have to see a strong close and improvement down the stretch. Tennessee closed. There you go, Will, kind of going to your point earlier. Tennessee closed strong last season, which helped them have continued success into this season. Can't be similar for Florida. Uh, MJ Smith at No Tread Zone 14 says two and two or one and three. Haven't won on the road all year. Uh, well, only played one true road game. That's at Tennessee so far. So <laughs> haven't played many road games uh, there for the Gators. Uh, Drop two at home. You know, hope, hopefully will. I know we alluded to it at the Tennessee game. Maybe playing true road game kind of opens up the eye, eyes of this team a little bit. Uh, get, get them kind of out of the comfort zone. Um, but he does say, uh, uh, if we get Texas A&M, I'll believe three and one more. Uh, Ralph uh, Sikobin, just difficult to believe in this team. They they play hard, but there's no leadership and no depth. They'll be competitive, but I can only foresee a win over Vanderbilt at the moment. Frankie Serrano, uh, Frank Gator 627. This is the easiest third of our schedule on paper. Uh, we went four and four through the harder two parts, so I'll say three and one, but possibly two and two. We could go four and oh, or 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 zero oh and four, though. To be honest, uh, Elite Wideout Academy. We will find a way to drop uh, one to one of those teams. Hopefully, not Florida State. Texas A&M is the team I think we will drop one to. I do think that if we stay aggressive on offense, then the sky's the limit. We have to score basically on every possession because our defense is inconsistent. A couple more here. Uh, Ramy Intriago tempted to say 4-0 if I trust Billy that the way the team responded in the second half yesterday was a turning point. Given we've seen no improvement from week to week this entire season, I'm praying for 2-2. Two and two. Don't make floundering A&M look like Super Bowl champs. <laughs> that is a worry there. 
Brian Rogers, one and three, been terrible all year. Worst defense in modern Florida football history. Most inconsistent offense in the country. Won't be playing for anything, and pride doesn't do it for these kids these days. Probably beat Vanderbilt because, come on, but A&M, FSU are better. South Carolina has better culture. Whew, pretty critical there. Uh, Hal, Rocketman Hal says, I'll be super pumped with three and one. Happy with two and two. All the teams are mid, but so are we. So anything could happen. <laughs> so, that's pretty much it, Will. Uh, all these teams, as we kind of said, are all kind of grouped together some way, some form or fashion. When you took a look at those stats I threw up there, I'll put that on Twitter too. If you listen to the podcast version, you need to kind of reference it there. But if you watch the YouTube version, have those stats right in front of you there for a few minutes. And yeah, Will, it's just, it, it is tough to predict what this Gator team is going to look like through these next four games. And we just kind of discussed it there, but it, it really is. It really is. Uh, Florida can go 4-0, and 3-1, 2-2, 1-3, 0-4. It is all on the table. Yeah, and I think one of the bigger things is does it really matter? I mean, right, if you get if you get the 2-2 two and two and you get to the bowl game, I think that ends up mattering in some respects. But, you know, th- this, is, this is a build. We know it's a build. And last year, Florida's team went six and seven. But I think you looked at the underlying statistics. You said, God, this team probably should have been better. This year's team, I look at the underlying statistics and I go, no, they're pretty much exactly where they should be based on what what they're doing. And and so that's that to me. I mean, you know, we said this under McIlwain, especially. I remember us saying over and over and over again, we just want to see progress. And so that, I think, is what we hopefully – start to like that should be the expectation going into these last four games this team is not going to come out and look like they can beat georgia three weeks from now correct but can this team go out and put together a good first quarter a good second quarter a good third quarter and a good fourth quarter not great right i don't think they need to be great but can they just do something where they play an effective four quarter game the entire time that's progress can they go out and play you know, put their foot on the throat of a team that's close. Like against USF, they had an opportunity to put them away, and they didn't do it. If they get that opportunity against Vanderbilt, will they be able to do it? And against a team like Florida State, where obviously the juices are going to be running high because these guys know each other. They've played against each other. Are they going to be able to keep their emotions in check, and are they going to be able to go out and hit Florida State in the mouth um, You know, and really be the SEC bully on the block? Those are the things you're starting to hopefully get some answers on as you move forward. But you know, like you said, we're not going to be able to predict it till we see it. This team has been so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. We see them, we see them play like a team that has a shot to win the national championship against Utah, and then the next we just lay a complete egg against Kentucky. And you know, you see them play a game where they they were competing pretty well with Tennessee, and Tennessee's just blown everybody out of the water since that game against Florida. I mean, that game, other than the Alabama game, that game against Florida was really Tennessee's closest call. And you know, so you play that way, and then you come out against Georgia, and you just look listless for the first for the first quarter, quarter and a half. And so, um, those are the things I think. You know, again, a pro- looking for progress, but looking for consistency. And even if that means that the you know that the the highs aren't quite as high, can you bring the lows up to where the lows yeah. aren't quite as low, just so that it's a little bit more of an even ride? Within, like, not even just within a game, within a half. And you know, are they going to be able to do that? I don't know, but uh, that might be the story of the season, right? Is it might be when Anthony Richardson's able to hit big plays, Florida's able to score, Florida's able to win. And when Anthony Richardson can't hit big plays, well, then they struggle because the defense can't stop anybody. That might just end up being the entire the entire narrative for 2022. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking all offseason about can the defense improve from 124th or whatever it ends up being <laughs> at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, it'll give us plenty to talk about then, too, I'm sure. Yeah, complimentary football is what I want to see. Hey, the defense finally gets a stop. Go out there and score. You know, you you had a chance versus Georgia. Don't get me wrong. You probably weren't going to win the game anyway. But you got them off the field in the first drive. You had a chance to put them down seven nothing, and you go three and out. So you know, but the schedule is that you get in that situation again. Let's go. Yeah, go go out there and play some complimentary football. You 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 finally get a stop. You finally get some turnovers. Go out there and offense and respond. Uh, and, and, and build a lead. And they did that in the third quarter, of course, but they had the chance in the first half versus Georgia as well. So, you know, not the best opponent to gauge uh, this Gator team on, but if you're in the same situation now coming up in these next four games, as I said, I want to see some complimentary football, and we'll kind of go into your point. If there's a chance, if you if there's a chance to go up by a couple scores, go up by a couple scores. If you're up a couple scores and you had the chance to put the game away, go put the game away. So all that um, – Consistency is progress, Will, and that's probably the best way to put it for the skater team right now. Consistency 
will be progress and will you know will, will lead to some victories for the Gators as the season comes to a close close the last month. Yeah, man. Hey, I say this every year, and I mean it. We only get twelve. Yep. And so we we got we got four left, and uh, you know, irrespective of whether this team frustrates me to no end, and irrespective of whether there are things that I'm concerned about when I look at the recruiting profile and I look at what's going on in the field and all those sorts of things, um, you know, there, there's something special about this university to me, and to my family, and to the people that I spend time with, and so, um, you know enjoy this right enjoy the fact that there's an opportunity to watch these games and and see the team develop because i mean i've said this before and you know georgia fans are going to experience this is that they talk about being the hunter they're not they're the hunted right now and everybody wants to take them down and and that got exhausting for florida i mean if you can remember sort of the slog especially in 2009 for that florida team where it just didn't feel like there was any joy associated with it or anything like that and if you don't enjoy this part of it where you're building up to that, then you never have any joy watching it because, you know, the championship comes and goes, but you didn't enjoy any of the climb up to that point. And then it's just a question of can you stay at the mountain? And that doesn't seem like a very like a very useful thing either. And so, you know, we know how sparing those moments are, those highs are. So you got to sort of wallow in the in the dirt here when things are going bad to make sure you appreciate it when those highs come around. And they're gonna come around again. I mean, this isn't Auburn, right? Where Alabama, the behemoth Alabama sitting there where, you know, Alabama's always been the big program in that state. Nick Saban's only further accentuated that, right? And now Auburn's going through, you know, going through head coaches like Pez Dispensers and just, you know, they're already paying Malzahn something like $25 million to go away. Now they're paying Harson $17 million to go away. Like, we're not Auburn from that standpoint. It's going to come back around. Florida's going to have an opportunity to be good again. And, and in many ways, this is the the joy, right? That that going through this, that uh, that going week to week and sort of dealing with the frustrations and watching the build and all that stuff is what makes it worthwhile when you finally get to the mountaintop. And uh, like I said, I think Florida's going to get there eventually. And and when they do, it'll be sweeter because of these types of seasons where you've where you've been frustrated, and then you can appreciate the ones where where Florida goes out there and gets the job done. Yep, yep. Good conversation, Will Hill, here. I know, I know, we're all. Uh, looking forward to see what these Gators hold this next month, and hopefully we're talking about a lot more. Of the, uh, a lot more. Of, uh, I, I, I'm, I am tired of talking about the losses on here now, so <laughs> I do want to talk about some victories here for the next, the next month or so. So, uh, of course, uh, big games coming up there uh, for the Gators this last month. Good conversation going on on, on the YouTube chat as well. Everybody thinks I know that's been pretty active this episode as well. Everybody in there, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. We'll quickly. Uh, Texas State and preview this week, and I know they uh, um, said you and Nick have been kind of uh, Nick was kind of having a project where he was keeping up with different stats throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. So Nick's got his his weekly article, Newton's Notes. It's a little bit uh, it's it's modeled after some of the old the old school ESPN articles that sort of took a look around college football. But he's obviously Florida Central or Florida focused when he's looking at that. All of an A and M preview. And then uh, I'm writing something about NIL. A lot of people, when I wrote about Cormani McLean last week, said, you know, the big argument was NIL has changed the game. And so I wanted to take a look at that and look at how NIL has changed that game. May not be out this week. We'll see. Um, but uh, I think I've got some interesting, uh, interesting stats when it comes to that and maybe some insight in terms of uh, why some teams have been successful and some others haven't for that. All right, there you go. Readreaction.com on YouTube. Read, react, read and reaction as well. So for Will Miles, I am David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>